0: Well, hey, everyone, thanks for being here this holiday weekend. Next week, in case you haven't heard it already, next week on Sunday, September 10th, we are opening our Minneapolis campus, and in many ways, yes, come on, in many ways, this is historic, is our 11th location. This one, as you are well aware, is right in the heart of the Twin Cities, And we just believe, while we don't think it's going to be easy, as it isn't easy to open any location, but we believe that God has something special in mind for Minneapolis. And so will you as a church, across all of our locations and online, commit to doing a couple things for us? The first is, will you pray? Will you commit to praying this week for our staff, for our volunteers? Will you pray for God to reach the 100,000 plus people who live within a mile of that location, let's not discount the power of a praying church. And second of all, will you invite someone I was just talking to someone a couple weeks ago who had been waiting for this location to open so she could dive in and serve and invite her friends and family. And so invite someone, and if you don't live close to Minneapolis, invite someone to the location you live closest to, even if it's online, because next weekend, as you've heard us talk about, is fall kickoff, where we're launching a series called It Would Take... A miracle, and this series is based on the 10,000 plus prayer requests that we received on Easter. People asking God for a miracle, and we're going to address some of those things. We all know someone. We all know someone who could use a miracle, a miracle to get their faith, their faith back, or even find faith for the first time, to be healed, or to find purpose. And meaning in life. We just sense there's great spiritual momentum in our communities, in our church, and we want to invite you to be a part of it. All right, with that, we are in the third and final week of a series that we've called That's So Mega Church, where we're giving vision to why we do things the way we do, and we're addressing some of the most common myths about large churches. And today's topic is this, big church, big money. Oh, here we go. This big church is gonna talk about money. Is that what you were thinking? In fact, it's possible, as soon as I mentioned the word money, that some of you reached for your wallets and just put a protective hand over it, okay? And I get it. In some cases, that's for good and legitimate reasons. In the last several years, one of the largest, most influential churches in the world has been highlighted for a variety of negative reasons. If you've been paying attention, there's been a few documentaries that have been made about their rise and downfall, and, and national media have written these lengthy articles exposing their shortcomings. Now listen, I'm not here to cast judgment because I don't go there, nor do I know any of their pastors personally. Plus, I also know that there's not one of us without sin who can cast a stone, but some of the angst and rightfully so, more than likely, was around how they spent money. For instance, after one investigation, a newspaper quoted a government official saying this, church money was used to do the kind of shopping that would embarrass a Kardashian. (laughs) According to this report, money was spent on quote shopping sprees at Saks Fifth Avenue and private jets that were used like Ubers. Now if I'm a person, who is already skeptical of churches and therefore Christianity, I'd wonder too, is that how all big churches spend their money? And the short answer is no. It's not. See, I had to Google what and where Saks Fifth Avenue was and whether it was near a Kohl's. (laughs) And it turns out it is on Fifth Avenue. At Eagle Brook, we do our best to honor every single penny that people generously give with financial systems and oversight in place to ensure funds aren't used to shop at luxury department stores. However, I do think Senior Pastor Jason Strand would look really good as a Kardashian, so I'd just like to propose that next year we, (laughs) can we just find a little room in the budget so he can, I mean, he looks good, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Doesn't quite fit in with that group, I don't think. <laughs> no, I, I'm just acknowledging that because of the carelessness and reckless spending of a few churches, I can understand why some would assume that every big church just wants your money so that we can shop like Kardashians. I, I can also understand while, why some people feel guarded when a church talks about money. Money is a sensitive topic for many of us because, well, we, we earned it. It's mine. Except when it comes to paying taxes and we're already annoyed that we have to give 30 to 40% back to the government, we tend to live like we can choose to do whatever we want to do with our money. And what do I wanna do with my money? I wanna buy more stuff, of course. I mean, important things like, like food, shelter, transportation, critical things. But I also wanna spend money on fun things like like coffee and going out to eat at restaurants and buying some toys, helping our kids with their activities, vacations, cars. I, I've been dying to get a new set of golf clubs so I don't get made fun of for my old hand-me-down set. Or we spend on kids' activities, and then there's some gifts and, and clothes and, and probably some more kids' activities in there. We just got to you know keep, keep feeling that. But and then at some point, we're going to need more stuff of course, to store all that stuff. And so what do we do? We, we get a bigger house or at least a shed. And then if we have some margin, of course. I mean, we'd like to set aside some money for an emergency or, or for retirement, for the future. And then we want to invest it to see if we can get that money to grow. And then we think, I mean, once I've got that covered and have enough for the present and the future, then, then I'll give some away. I mean, maybe it's to that person on the street or, or it's a cause I care about or even the church. But trust me, John, the last thing I need is to come to the one place that's supposed to be free and have some church tell me that they need my money. And I understand how many of us can have that line of thinking. That kind of thinking about money can happen if we're not intentional However, I'd like to contend there's a couple of incorrect assumptions, I believe, even in this hypothetical train of thinking. The first wrong assumption is that people are selfish and greedy. I find why that while there's certainly a handful of people, like those seagulls in Finding Nemo, you know, that are going around, mine, 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 that more often than not, the correct assumption is that people want to be generous. I see this in many of you, many people I know. People desire to be generous. I also have seen this in our kids even just recently. I mean, sure, they love money as much as any other greedy little kid who hasn't earned it, okay? But just as naturally as them kind of recently obsessing about wanting to get more, to buy more, they are equally becoming as passionate about finding ways to to be generous and give it away. My son Maddox, who's 12, has a goal of saving $75 so he can give it away to Eagle Brook, and he's halfway there. Here's my daughter, eight-year-old daughter Marley's giving. She accumulated just a couple weeks ago. Now, neither of these kids are getting a tax break. They just want to give some away. The second wrong assumption is that the church just wants your money. I'm here to tell you, we don't. We don't just want your money. What we want for you is to be all that God has called you to be as a follower of Christ. So what's true? God wants your heart. That's why churches talk about money. It's because God wants our heart. Look what Jesus says here in Matthew 6. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I want you to notice the order. Where your treasure or money goes, your heart follows. It's not the other way around. Now, I think we all have this desire to be generous, but typically, if we're honest, our hearts are more inclined to want to keep it, to hoard, to save, or use it. But God says if we put our priorities, if we put our focus in treasure and accumulating money and stuff, that's where our hearts will be also. The problem, and you probably know this, is that money and stuff never completely satisfy. The desire and pursuit of more money and stuff is a bottomless pit that leaves the heart ultimately wanting more. Now my guess is we all have either been someone or can think of someone who has been consumed by accumulating more stuff. Maybe you grew up in a home where where mom and dad just kept working and working, not because they had to, but because they wanted more and they just never stopped. Maybe you've lived through a time where your primary desire was to build and achieve so that you could get more and earn more and put more away. And if you're honest, maybe that's the season you're in now where this ongoing desire for more stuff and more money is relentless and all-consuming. And a question we like to ask ourselves around here when we're living a certain type of way is this, how's that working for you? See, the reason the Bible and therefore a church addresses money at all is because where our treasure goes, there our heart will be also. And God wants our hearts. By the way, Jesus talked about money as much as any other subject. It's been calculated that nearly 15% of Jesus' words we have recorded in the Bible are about money. Either he's using it as an illustration or to drive home a point about finances and treasure. But that's more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. See, we talk about money because Jesus talked about money. And Jesus talked about money because, believe it or not, it's not about how much you have. It's not even about how much, how much we give. See, it's about how much of our hearts belong, belong to God. And by the way, making changes in our heart, it's not easy work. For example, it's like people who go to the doctor and the doctor tells them that their physical heart is not in good condition. The doctor says, you are a prime candidate For a heart attack, if you don't make some lifestyle adjustments, you know, you got to eat better, you got to get your 10,000 steps, you got to slow down, and yet, how often do people change? One study said that about 20% of people who've already had a heart attack will make no significant changes and be readmitted with more heart issues the following five years. Similarly, when it comes to money, money can have such a grip on our intangible heart that even when we have it figured out for a time, and maybe you currently have this money thing figured out for this time, or maybe when we hear a teaching like today's, what can happen is we can slip back into old habits and unhelpful ways of thinking. That's because the heart is hard to change when it comes to money. Now, I found this to be true in my own life even just recently, in a span of a couple weeks this last winter, we we had a bunch of unexpected expenses. Maybe you can re- relate to a few weeks or a season like this. Our garage door broke in the mid of winter, plumbing backed up, both our cars broke down right around the same time. A few medical bills popped up, our thermostat failed, of course, and just every other outstanding bill arrived due at the same time, and it was all costing Just a lot of money. And I found myself thinking, well, if we just decrease our giving for a time, we could actually make up the difference much quicker. And while I was tempted to do that, thankfully God convicted me of that type of thinking before I could do anything different. But I share that to let you know I felt my own heart engaged in this tug of war over what's mine to use as I want, versus God reminding me that it's his and that he'll provide if we trust him. See, the way we steward money is a spiritual battle for our heart. That's why the most Christ-like, joy-filled people I know are those who use money the way that God has given them in generous ways. They're winning this spiritual battle. Now, to be clear, some of these people are wealthy beyond imagination, but others have just a few hundred dollars to their name. What I found is that uh, generosity is not dependent on bottom lines. It's dependent on how much of our hearts belong to God. So as you can see, this isn't a message about big church, big money. This is a message about our heart. So if we're going to use money the way that God wants us to use it, there are three heart shifts we all must make. And the first is this, from not enough to more than enough. I want to take you to the story of the Macedonians found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church, but he spends these two chapters writing and bragging about the way the Macedonians have lived Generously, And this is where we pick it up. Chapter 8, verse 1, he writes, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Okay, let's pause here for a moment. Let's pay attention to the condition that they're in. They are living in a very severe trial. You ever experience a severe trial? Hello, 2020. Have we forgotten already? Hello, stock market the last couple of years. Hello, losing your job unexpectedly, receiving that $8,000 medical bill or discovering that flooded basement. At one point or another, we've all experienced a severe trial that has affected our financial outlook. But then Paul goes on and says, not only are the Macedonians under severe trial, they're living in extreme poverty. Now, very few of us in a first world country like America understand extreme poverty. Like, where is food going to come from? How are we going to survive another day? Plus, these Macedonian churches were persecuted relentlessly for recently becoming Jesus followers. And at times, they were left with almost nothing, at least materially. Paul goes on to say, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. And that's fair enough. I mean, they didn't have much, so they, were, they, they gave as they were able. But Paul didn't stop there. He writes, and even beyond their ability. Now what's beyond our ability to give? I imagine just to bring it into practical terms, it's as we look at our budget, we see that, okay, there's $100 to give and there's leftover after we've done everything else. And that's giving as we're able. But I imagine people like the Macedonians who give beyond their ability, look at their budget See, no way how they could possibly give $500 but do so anyways because they feel like God is asking them to. It doesn't seem to fit into our budgets, our spreadsheets, and our economics, but it somehow works in God's economy beyond their ability. See, those who give like they have more than enough. Believe Jesus when he says in Luke chapter six, verse 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I gotta stop here for a second. Because this scripture passage can be easily abused. Okay, I don't believe Jesus is saying that when we give to God, he's gonna rain down 50s right now. But wouldn't that be nice? I don't believe at all that if we decide to give $100 today, God is gonna give us $1,000 the next day. Hear me say, God is not a genie in a bottle. But I do believe Wholeheartedly, in this truth that someone once taught me, basing it on this scripture passage, that you can't outgive God. I don't understand how it always works, and I don't always believe that means financially, but in many ways, when we give to God, we can't outgive an ultimately generous God. Now, I didn't necessarily believe this. When I first heard it either, but now I do since we've done our best to live it. Trust me, there are plenty of times, and I'm trying to share all these times, where I'm tempted to give just as I'm able or when I have enough, which would be according to my economics. But over the years, when Emily and I try to give beyond our ability in faith, and trust God's economics, which in essence is defined as you can't outgive God. I find what one generous person once said the more we shovel out for God, the more he tends to shovel back to us. Again, not so that we can accumulate or spend more, nope, it's so that we can give more. See, here's a question for us to consider When will we have enough to be generous? Is it when we make $100 more a month? Maybe you're waiting for $10,000 more a year. Maybe it's that first $100,000. Now listen, I know some people who make $1,000 a month, others who make $20,000, and other people who make $50,000 a month. But the difference in generosity is not in how much they make. It's not. It's in seeing that with God's economics, what we have is already more than enough, And so generous people give beyond their ability and trust God to provide. So ask yourself, do you believe you don't have enough to be generous? Or do you see it the way God sees it? That he's already given us more than enough. Second heart shift we all must make to use money the way that God wants us to use it is to shift from reluctant to give to privileged to give. Look what Paul said about the Macedonians continuing on entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us, the Macedonians urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Entirely on their own. They pleaded For what? The privilege. How many of us can say that we pleaded with someone to give away our money to them or the church? I mean, we walked in here this morning, today, and just begged to give our money away. How many people can say that? Okay, Mother Teresa, maybe you have, okay? But not a lot of us can relate. But oftentimes, we are prone to feel a sort of reluctance about giving. Again, I've struggled with this. There's been a handful of times where I've looked at our budgets at the end of a year or you know, contributed taxes and going over things at the end of a year and look at that money we gave away and had this thought. Oh, hmm, would've been nice to use that. Use that money on you know, painting our kitchen cabinets or our walls like my wife has been asking us to do. Now, I have the opportunity to stand up in front of thousands of people and confess this way of thinking and repent of this way of thinking because I don't want to feel reluctant to give. This is a spiritual battle, friends. In our heart, we have to learn not to give reluctantly, but see giving as a privilege. Paul urges this kind of giving when he writes, each of you, He's talking about all of us. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver who gives out of privilege because he himself is the ultimate cheerful giver. John 3:16, a verse many of us know, for God so loved the world that he what that He gave because we want all of you, all of us to see giving as a privilege. Perhaps you notice that one, we don't talk about giving every week at this church. We don't. Two, we no longer pass an offering bag or a plate and haven't for several years. And three, when we do talk about giving, you'll often hear a pastor say, we don't want you to feel obligated to give But if you feel called by God, if you believe in the mission of this church, and we do these things because we don't believe that God wants our reluctantly given money. He wants us to experience giving as a privilege, which, by the way, many of you have done the last couple weeks by donating shoes. We have accumulated thousands of pairs of shoes to give away, and we're excited to share the results of that in the coming weeks. Some of your shoes we have reluctantly received because, whew, but not great, but thank you for your generosity, truly, um, which leads me to the third heart shift we all must make when it comes to money. It's to see it as money is mine and shifting it to realize that money is God's. See, we'll see all of this as a privilege when we understand that none of our money is really ours to begin with. It's God's. See, what if instead of seeing it as giving God some of our money to use, that we see it as giving back to God what is already his to begin with? That we're actually financial advisors of God's money. That he's entrusted us to invest and steward and use his money wisely. Well, again, we struggle with this because we tend to view the money that we've made as 100% ours. It's kinda like the story of the robber while wearing a ski mask, who held up a well-dressed man in a parking lot and demanded, give me your money. And this affluent man who's dressed to the nines in a suit, exasperated, said, you can't rob me. I'm a United States congressman. And the robber replied, in that case, give me back my money, okay? It's mine. It's my money. Again, we've earned it. We've worked hard for it. We spent countless hours in some cubicle or climbing the ladder or doing grunt work that no one else wanted to do, traveling all over the country, earning more credentials. For that money, it's mine, but it's not. It's God's. James writes, every good and perfect gift is from above. The job we have, the house we live in, the money we make, it is all God's to begin with. And so God is trusting us to steward it well. I love what Pastor J.P. Placluta said. He said, You are not a container for God to store money in, you are a conduit. To get it to where it needs to go you're not a pail for him to put his coins in you are a pipe for him to funnel his resources to where he wants them to land I mentioned earlier that we had some plumbing issues this winter and I've had a handful of plumbers over the years tell me that garbage disposals keep them in business apparently who knew Garbage disposals are the worst thing to happen to pipes and the best thing to happen to plumbers who want to get paid. Well, just last month, I turned on the garbage disposal and heard the crushing of glass. So after pulling what I could out, the garbage disposal was jammed and the sink was backed up. No water was flowing. And so I yelled down for Emily to come downstairs, and with her smaller hands, she started pulling pieces out and kept saying, did you not see the glass go down in the sink? <laughs> I mean, before you turned on the garbage disposal, I, I mean, what glass is this? Whose glass? Is, how could this happen? Then she yells at her kids, Maddox, Marley, did you shatter a glass and not tell us? And believe it or not, that has happened. So, you know, she had a right to believe that maybe that happened. But as she kept pulling the glass out, Eventually, she pulled a piece out that she could read that said DeLonghi, and she sheepishly turned to everyone and said, oh, this was the shot glass I used yesterday. For espresso, of course. She clarified just to make sure everyone knew. (laughs) Don't know for sure. But I love those moments in marriage, by the way, hard to beat. She's blaming everyone else. It's just like, oh. Thank you, Jesus, for those. (laughs) But eventually, we had to grab the shop vac out of the garage to get everything out and unclogged from the garbage disposal so water could flow again. And our hearts, when it comes to this topic of money and giving and generosity, I just find they're clogged up. They're clogged up with unhelpful thoughts like, well, I mean, I'll, I'll give when I, when I have enough. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give once in a while, maybe, maybe on Christmas or, you know, right before tax season ends, or, or we incorrectly view money as ours and not God's. But see, what I want to challenge some of us today is to let God unclog our hearts when it comes to money. And I get it. Maybe there's shattered glass in your heart about money because of a previous negative experience in a church or a nonprofit, or maybe it was something you've read about. Maybe you've had to endure some ongoing financial hardship and and you just can't see where giving fits in. I've been there, I get it. Maybe you grew up in a home where money, whether it really was or not, always felt tight, and so you live with this constant scarcity mindset, or maybe you've grown up with so much Or you live with so much, you've never felt the sacrifice of giving. And I just want to say, whatever is clogging up that heart of yours, can I just lovingly allow God to challenge you, allow God to shop back that shattered glass out of your heart so God can use his money as a conduit or pipe in your life and transfer it to wherever he wants it to go. See, the reason that Paul used the Macedonians as an example at all was to inspire this other group of people, this church, the Corinthians, to give more generously for God's glory. He writes to them, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. And then he writes, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. See, this is fascinating to me. What this scripture tells me is that Paul had no problem challenging people to grow and excel in the grace of giving. Because like all matters of our relationship with Jesus, giving is a matter of faith. It's a a matter of the heart. Uh, Many years ago, when I first started working as a pastor, I was truthfully still figuring out this money and generosity thing. Grew up a little skeptical of money in the church, and I was just trying to figure out where it all fits in. And early on in our marriage, I was this young pastor just getting started. Emily didn't have a full-time job. We didn't have a lot of money, and there didn't seem to be a lot of money coming in anytime soon. But I'll never forget a conversation I had with a mentor of mine who I allowed to ask some honest and transparent and challenging questions About my life and my relationship with Jesus. And one of those days we got to talking about money. Again, never fun, almost always sensitive. But he had the courage to ask me about my giving and generosity. And I said back to him, Well, I mean, we give back 10% of whatever we have left over after paying taxes, and we just like contribute a little bit to retirement. And of course, we sometimes there's emergencies that popped up and and he nodded with a smile on his face and said, you know, that's, that's pretty good. But then he said something that felt really offensive to me at the time. But I'm telling you, without this conversation, I don't know how quickly my heart would have changed in ways that I actually didn't expect. He said, John, I, I don't think that's what God wants with his money. I actually think you can do better. Again, I'm thinking, how dare you talk to me about my money? But then he said, I want to challenge you to give at least the first 10% of whatever you make back to God for a whole year and then report back to me. And I remember going home, telling Emily how offended I was, then looking at our budgets and our spreadsheets and thinking, how is this ever going to work? But because he was one of the most Christ like, spiritually strong people I knew, we took him up on the challenge. And how did we get started? By setting up planned, automatic, consistent, weekly giving. Every week, that 10% was taken out of our account automatically and given first to the church. Not super glamorous, not super sexy, but consistent and automatic. And guess what? We never reported back after a year because we haven't looked back since. See, from that day many years ago, our hearts have shifted when it comes to money. And now we have these goals, these desires to try to excel in the grace of giving, to give above and beyond 10%. We wanna be generous with people in our lives and to give to other Christian organizations that support causes we feel passionate about. Now we see giving as an area, just like other areas of faith, of an area that we can excel and grow in. Why Because we want God to have our whole heart. And so my prayer for you, again, this isn't for my sake. It's not for this church's, but for yours, is that God would shift your heart in these three ways. From not enough to more than enough. From reluctant to give, to privilege to give. And from the money is mine to money is God's. And even though we have this desire to grow in generosity because our hearts are prone to sin and selfishness and greed, including mine, by the way, most days we won't feel like giving. We won't feel like we can give until we have feel like what feels like enough. will feel like hoarding and protecting and using. But what I want to encourage many of us today is to take a step To grow and excel in the grace of giving. What's the best way to do that? To use the analogy of the pipe. Just twist the valve a little bit. Tweak the dial. Some of us have just given as we're able, and that's good, but what if you turn the dial and give beyond your ability? Some of us give occasionally, but never consistently. What if we opened up the valve a little bit and started giving generously to God's church, uh, causes that God believes in consistently? And some of us have never given before, and that's okay. But what if you turn the dial just a little bit and just started? Open up that heart of yours and give it all to God. By the way, generosity flows from the fact that we serve and we look to and we worship a God who has been so generous to us. First of all, by sending his son Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave. He is a generous God. Let's look to God for that inspiration to be generous back to him. Where your treasure goes, there our hearts will follow and God wants our whole heart. Let me pray for God to do just that. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to serve a father who is so loving and generous to us. Even as I say that, I know it's hard to feel that generosity for many people. Times are hard, whether it's um, something tangible or intangible, a lack of peace, a broken relationship, maybe there is some financial hardship, God. And it's hard to feel your goodness and your generosity. But help us to look to the cross where you gave. You gave us your son, Jesus, so that we could have forgiveness and eternal life. There is a no greater gift. But then also, God, there are things in this life that we look past and we don't see just how good you have been to us. Place to live, transportation to get somewhere, food to eat, God, the basics. That again, you have taken care of us. So God, help us to see your generosity because that's where we'll be inspired to be generous back to others and to your church. God, for every person here, I know the desire runs deep for people, the desire to be generous, to give them, them, to give them to people, those resources, those things, those things that we tend to hoard and keep, but to give those things away for others. God, there is a deep desire in us, and I, I pray that you help us experience that that generosity, God. We wanna give you our whole heart, and we're grateful that we get a chance to worship you today, to learn how to be more generous. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, if you'd like prayer, we'll have a prayer team down front. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for Fall Kickoff.